it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we are talking more about this loss to Texas A&M. If you haven't checked out the post-game podcast yet, feel free to do that. Um, I screwed up and uh, left in the drafts, so it's only on YouTube over the weekend. It's in your podcast feed now, though, if you're looking for that. Um, Today, though, we're going to dig just a little bit deeper. Um, Like I said in the last podcast, you know... Obviously, there's a lot to talk about when you watch a game the first time, but there's also things like that last drive, Dev and I were down on the field and watching it on the like big screen um, because it was on the other end of the field, everything that was happening. So my takeaways from that, not nearly as detailed as they are now. I just spent the last, oh, I don't know, it's six o'clock now. I think at like 2.30, I started watching this game again, just going back and replaying plays and replaying and replaying and replaying. And I've come up with a bunch of notes. And I, I, I like how I organized them this week better than how I nor- organized them last week. Uh, so that's kind of plan today. A couple of notes to get to off, uh, you know, the, 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 the top of the show. And then we'll get into all my notes from the game. Um, and there's a lot of notes after getting a chance to go back and rewatch that. Um, yeah, hope you guys are doing all right. That was a, that was just a brutal loss, just a brutal loss. And to go back and relive that again, you know, I, I I hadn't really thought about it is since yesterday or since two days ago, because yesterday I woke up, um, immediately just went straight over to the bar for the, or the tailgate, like not our tailgate, like where you drink and well, we do drink and stuff, but like our show, the tailgate, which if you guys aren't watching that on Sunday mornings, I promise you're missing out. It's rewatchable too, which is kind of crazy considering we're just talking about the games that are coming up in a couple hours, but that is a good time. And 
We really let loose on that one. But yeah, we went straight into that. During that show, I think I had like a couple beers and a shot, and then you go straight into NFL Sunday. And I was asleep because the day before was so long at like 6 o'clock. And so going back through this whole experience today and, you know, talking to people, doing that kind of stuff, it's a, that's a brutal, brutal loss um, to, to lead against the number five team in the country for, I don't know what the actual time is, but it, ha- it was at least 45 minutes, right? Yeah, at, at least, and it was probably more than that. Um, and they didn't pull it out, but but we're gonna dig through these notes first. Though two big pieces of news that we got today, um, real quick, since there isn't much to expand on here. USC fired Todd Helton. Whoa, Clay Helton. Todd Helton is a baseball player for the Rockies, or he was. Now he has like a ranch in Tennessee or something. But uh, Clay Helton is done at USC. Probably should have happened like two years ago. Weird that it's happening right now. My only thought is like if you're doing it right now, you're probably doing it because you you think that uh, Dante Williams, the interim head coach, might have a chance to be a real head coach. And so you want to give him a, a bit of a tryout over the course of the rest of the season. Weird though. Yes, they got beat up by Stanford and Stanford didn't score any points uh, the week before uh, when they played Kansas State. Um, then put up 42 on them two days ago. I feel like yesterday didn't even exist, honestly. Um, but that's what's up. That's what's up. Uh, coaching change over there. Obviously, Colorado plays USC first weekend in October. And, you know, that, I mean, you have to like this, right? If you're CU fans, like, obviously, Clay Hilton, not a great coach. And so, long term, it's similar to like the Scott Frost situation in Nebraska where it's like, yeah, just just hold on to Scott Frost and we're not going to complain about that over here. The USC, I think that the odds of them turning this all around in two, three weeks, probably not great. Um, so that happened today. The other note, this one is uh, not a fun one. We did find out why Levante Chenault wasn't at the game on Saturday. And... I'll just read this whole release because it was really short. Uh, University of Colorado wide receiver Levante Chenault has been suspended indefinitely for violating team and athletic department rules. Head coach Carl Durrell announced Monday. Chenault, the third time freshman due to the NCAA four-game redshirt rule and then the extra year of eligibility granted by the NCAA for the COVID-19 pandemic. Began serving a suspension last Saturday when CU played Texas A&M in Denver. 6'2", 190-pounder from DeSoto, Texas, caught two passes for 23 yards in the season opener against Northern Colorado. That is all we know. On top of that, I have a, I have a, I have a, an, an inkling, what a good word, that we probably won't be seeing him until the start of November, maybe late October. Just throwing that out there, um, that that's kind of where my head is at right now. And so maybe, maybe we got to talk about what these receivers are going to look like um, and, until he is back, which could be at any point. Um so, obviously, we got a taste of it on Saturday. Um, you've got Demetri Stanley. You've got Brendan Rice. Those those are your top two receivers. Um, interestingly, Daniel Arias played the most snaps of any receiver for Colorado. Um, Arias had 47 of the 65. Uh, Demetri, Brendan Rice had 42 of 
the 65. Dimitri Stanley had 33 of the 65. Then you've got Montana Limonius Craig with 23. Ty Robinson with 19. Uh, Chase Penry with nine. Jalen Jackson with four. That's only counting on offense. That's not special teams, too. So you expect the breakdown to be about the same throughout the season. Um, We haven't seen much of Keith Miller this season. I wouldn't be surprised if that changes here at some point while Levante is missing. Um, But, you know, it's a blow. It's a blow. All through camp, every DB I talked to said that he was the toughest to cover. Dimitri Stanley said that he was the guy who was going to break out on this offense this year. Um, Obviously, I don't get to watch too much of practice. I get to see like the one scrimmage they had open to the media, but everybody was saying that he was ready to break out. It was weird when he was listed as an or with Daniel Arias um, in the opening depth chart just because we'd heard all those things because we'd seen him be a starter last year have to think that maybe some of the disciplinary stuff was lingering. And now at this point, kind of on his last legs, um, you'd have to imagine. Uh, was suspended for the first game last year for the DUI, was suspended for the the last game last year for you know one of these unknown reasons. Obviously suspended indefinitely now. That's three suspensions. And like I said, I do not anticipate this one going away in the next couple of weeks. Um, could be wrong, could be wrong, but that's what I anticipate um, at this point based on stuff. And so, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Obviously, a, a blow to a blow to this offense and to this team, especially tough because the team struggled to put up points on Saturday and I guess maybe that's just a good jumping off point into this whole conversation um I've got a lot of notes here you guys better buckle up um first of all let's just let's start with something simple you know we talked last week about the offensive line rotation and Carl said you know we're going to rotate the the one a's and the one b's just because we don't think there's much separation I thought after watching that first game that you probably sit Chance Lytle down and put in Max Ray. Um, you probably sit Kane and Ray down and put in Casey Roddick, although you know that you could sit a couple of different guys to get Casey in. Um, and what happened was they did sit down Lytle and they did play Max Ray in his place. Um, and then the one other offensive lineman outside of the ta- starting five that did get in was Casey Roddick. Um, and let me let me just double check what these numbers are before I say them. Um, so Kane and Ray played 46 of the snaps. Casey Roddick played 19. Um, like I said, Roddick came in off the bench. So that's what we're looking at right there. We'll see how this continues to play out going forward. Um, I'll say this though, you know, last week I was really disappointed, honestly, in both of the tackles. Maybe maybe really disappointed is a stretch. Maybe it isn't, though, because then I did remember it was against Northern Colorado, so they should have been winning pretty consistently. Um, Max Ray didn't blow me out of the water. Um, He made some mistakes. There were a couple of blow-bys, one in the running game that, you know, just blew up a run in the backfield. You can't afford that. Um, And and now, you know, I do think that there's a good chance Frank Phillip is going to be back this week, and he's a starter. Oh, and I should say, I think Max Ray started at left tackle with Jake Wiley moving to right tackle. So that's notable, um, especially because 
I guess you can't read too much into it because Frank played right tackle last year and we expected him to play left tackle this year. And so if things go according to plan, you probably keep Wiley at that right tackle side and just sub um, uh, Frank into that left tackle spot. But because he does have experience, a right tackle, maybe they want to to keep him over there. Who knows? Um, When he does get back, I do expect him to start. Um, I think that just based on what we've seen so far from the tackles, you need him to grow. And the good news is you've got three guys to fill one job. And they'll figure out which one they want. Um, I think Wiley and Ray are probably the leaders ahead of Lytle. I mean, obviously, because they were the ones who played this week. Uh, But we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. Um, There's kind of the update there. Um, But, again, I do think that... You want more out of those guys, even though there was plenty to like about that running game this week. Um, let's just run through some of this offensive stuff real quick. Um, we'll start with Brendan Lewis. Um, there was a let's see. Oh, oh, the play where Dimitri Stanley was running, lining up at running back. Um, you remember that? It's like a second and long, second and thirteen, second four, something like that. And Dimitri Stanley is in the backfield with a shot at wide receiver. Um, it's a little read option. At least I think it was a read option. It could have just been a handoff to Stanley. Um, but if it was a read option, that was the wrong read by Brendan Lewis. He should have kept that ball. He should have ran that ball. Um, and, you know, the the reason we're jumping into some nitpicking right away is because these are kind of the difference in that game. You know, what happens if they they pick up five or six more yards? Um, instead of, you know, getting knocked back a couple bit more and having like a third and 14 or whatever, there's, there's in this game, there's so many little plays that could have been the difference. I mean, obviously you look back at those two QB sneaks, one of which I really do think picked up the third down or the, the first down, the fourth down one. I do think he was short, but they challenged the third down and you know, it's a, it's a risk and a risk that. In hindsight, I'm sure they wish they hadn't taken. Um, but again, in a game where the margins are so slim, especially in a game where you score seven points and lose by three, any one of these plays changing could have been the the spark that kept the, the drive that scored at least a field goal alive. Um, and I believe that, that that second and long to Dimitri Stanley, that the handoff that, that should have probably been kept, that... Uh, that was the one where Cole Becker missed the field goal. Um, and what happens if, you know, they still have an incompletion on third down even, but instead of having him kick a 46-yarder, they have him kick a 41-yarder. Now, obviously, he, the distance wasn't the issue. He missed it wide right, but maybe being a little bit closer, he, he straightens things out, you know. Um, and there's, there's some more of those what-ifs. We'll jump into a couple of those before we get back to some more of the, the Brendan, just, just little things with Brendan. Um you know, there was there was that quick pass to Fontenot um, on the wheel route up the sideline. There's a pass interference call. I think it was Montana Lamonius Craig who the, the corner is jamming him up and he's just kind of running into him and he wants to turn around at the sticks and they called it pass interference and it wasn't pass interference. Um, and again, in, in those games where that turns out to be a 24-yard penalty because they lose what they gained 
and then you throw the 15 yards on top of it, well, then you're in a third and 19, and they, they Chev didn't want to give Brendan a chance to pick that up with his arm. A little handoff to Fontenot inside, and you punt. What happens, though, if, if, they, if they pick that up? Does the drive keep going from there? And there's just so many of these little things that stack up. Some some that are uh, Brendan's fault, some that are on the offensive line, some that are on the skill players, and some that are on the refs. And this one was on the refs. Um, and, and those ones just really suck. Now, obviously, the big what-if in this game, the drop from Daniel Arias, um, uh, he, uh, he needs to get that. He needs to get that ball. You know, if, if you're the big outside receiver, that is what you're kind of all about, right? Like the, the fact that you give your team an opportunity to pick those up and go up and make those plays, that's why you're on the field. You know, you can do those other things that we saw him do early in the game. And he had a nice game going before that point. You know, he had the three catches that uh, one of them was for first down, a nice little run after the catch. Another one might have been first down too, but that isn't what his strength should be. You know, you can put, uh, you know, Brendan Rice can run those routes and get open and catch those balls. Um, Jalen Jackson, Chase Penry. But what's supposed to separate Daniel Arias is the ability to go up and get those other ones, go get the tougher ones. And that's why you have him on the field is because he's a threat to do those things. And this is another example of him not quite taking advantage. You know, it's not an easy catch, but I think that when you look at the way football's going, you know, it's kind of like basketball where everybody wants threes and layups now because those are the most efficient. Lobbing a ball up to a big receiver is not one of the efficient plays in football. You know, you're not supposed to be just throwing up 50-50 balls because you can probably pick them apart underneath, and that's kind of where the quarterback position is going, the passing game is going. For that to be worth it, you need to be bringing in a lot of those. And if you aren't, again, it's a really tough thing to do, but... It's just it's just a killer if you're six foot four and you can't quite get that done. Um, you know, it would have gotten him across midfield. They only had one snap across midfield in the entire second half. It was a punt. Um, you know, it's another one where you say, "Hey, I don't know what happens from there." But Carl said that he's confident in Cole Becker from inside the thirty-five yard line. You needed one more first down from there to to get a real shot at a field goal. Um, and if you get two, then you're increasing your odds. And if you get a touchdown, who knows how the rest of the game plays out. Um, but, you know, on top, of, on top of the drop, then on the next play, you have uh, the little swing pass to Jarek Broussard where the, the slot guy just comes crashing down straight into his knee. And we don't see Jarek Broussard carry the ball again. Um, he didn't carry the ball once in the second half. And that's... That that makes it really hard to win games. It makes it really, really hard to win games. Um, I do think that on the last podcast, the one with Dev, I might have been a little bit too harsh on Brendan uh, for that throw. You know, it would be nice if he kind of saw that that could be coming, but that that guy was flying. I think when you look at it from the quarterback's perspective, it doesn't seem like a throw where it's like, ah, this guy's going to get hit really hard. Um, still shouldn't have thrown it, obviously, but... I I understand it. I understand it, and it isn't, I don't know. It wasn't as obvious as I initially thought. Um, you know, there's another play. 
Um, the next drive, a couple drives later, something like that. Uh, it's third and nine, and they call a screen to Brady Russell, and it just gets blown up. There's there's a defender right there. Somebody might have missed a block. I don't really know. And they don't pick it up, and they have to punt. And you look at that and say, hey, maybe that's a little bit too cute. But then you also say, they call the screen, and the defense was blitzing. And when the defense is blitzing and you call a screen, you you should be able to pick up a third and nine. Um, and I'm not sure if it's bad luck that that defender was right there or if he beat the block or something, but I do know that there were a lot more blockers than there were defenders in front of Brady. And, you know, it's Brady Russell. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to house it, but nine yards probably should have happened. Um, I'm not knocking the play calling on that one. Um... Anything else in here? I think just on Broussard, he was so, so, so valuable in this game. Um, it, I feel dumb even saying that because he's the Pac-12 player of the year and all that. Like, obviously, he's incredibly valuable. But losing him... I mean, that's why in the first half, they, they were at least moving the ball. It was because of Jarek. Um, and I, even, I guess maybe that's not fair. It's not because of Jarek. But it was because... They had every bit of juice that they had on that offense that they were able to do as much as they did. Without one piece of that, whether it's Jarek, whether it's Brendan Lewis, whether it's even Brady Russell who had some really nice blocks, if they lose one of those pieces, they're going to have a lot tougher time. The fact that it was Jarek obviously uh, made it incredibly difficult to get anything done. Um, In particular, you could just see how Jarek was stretching the edges of this defense, just forcing the defense to overcommit. And it was opening everything up for him in these cutback lanes. And so those first couple plays where he's just running hard at the edge and the defense is like, oh, wow, this guy, this guy's this fast. Well, then the next play, he starts running left as hard as he can. The defense over pursues and there's a big cutback lane. And there were a couple of times he almost got free. There were, there were a couple of times he definitely almost got free, and they could have been big runs. And I think that when you have Jarek Broussard and you see that you're close to one of those, in the second half, you probably expect him to break one. Now, again, Jarek isn't the, f- the fastest in terms of top end speed. Maybe he does get run down. Maybe it doesn't turn into a touchdown. But, I mean, they didn't even score points in that second half. And the odds of Jarek, you know, he had 12 carries in the first half. If he has 12 carries in the second half, one of those is going for 20, 25 yards. And that changes the complexion of the game. Um, in particular, you know, there's they had that little toss out of the shotgun to him in the first half. Obviously, first half, he didn't carry the ball in the second half. Um, but he's just lined up to the left, I think, of Brendan. And then it's just a toss to the left. And so he has, like, the step advantage. The defense just over-pursues. He takes two steps to the left and cuts back, and the middle of the field is wide open. Um, he, he was kind of just toying with them. Now, again, it's Texas A&M's defense, and that meant he wound up with, like, four and a half yards per carry or something. But that's kind of the thing about Brendan, is he gets four yards per carry, four and a half yards per carry, and then breaks a 25-yarder, and all of a sudden you're looking at six yards per carry. And he just wasn't in long enough to do that, and it really sucks. Also in the play-action game, you know, we talked about Brendan running the ball not as much in the second half on Saturday, and Carl said that it was because a lot of those zone reads, they were just saying, we're not letting Brendan run the ball. We're making him hand it off to the running back, and then we'll deal with the consequences of that. Um, and that was absolutely part of it. At the same time, though, 
when when you have those bootlegs, they work a lot better when you can fake a stretch run with Jarek Broussard one way, where the defense has to overcommit to be able to stop him from from getting to that edge, and then rolling back the other way. It's just a lot harder to defend when it's Jarek versus when it's Alex Fontenot. And Alex Fontenot, I thought, played well. Um, I think just under four yards per carry, something like 3.8. Um, it's not It's not ideal. But you also have to, again, remember the circumstances. It's Texas A&M's defense, one of the best in the country. And Alex Fontenot, a good running back. 3.8 yards per carry kind of adds up given all the circumstances of this game, though. Um, it's just it's just different than Jarek, especially because Jarek has that speed to really scare you on the edge so that you can catch the defense over committing. And losing that was so big. Because um, that just opens so much up in the passing game, which is is definitely a little bit disappointing. It'd be nice if you could say, you know what, we're going five wide, putting Brendan in this pocket, and and he's going to be able to just pick him apart. And he's going to see what the defense is doing and call a couple of audibles, some hot routes, say, I want to slant right here because that's going to be open. And just just pick. He's not there yet, and there's a chance that he is an All Pac-12 quarterback. And he's never that style of player because that's how good of a runner he is and how good he is off of play action. Ideally, he just gets all of those things, but, you know, it is what it is. And um, maybe maybe let's get into Brendan a little bit more. Um, just some other notes on some more of those little things like I brought up earlier. Uh, there were a couple of throws where he was late. Um, one to Brady Russell that really sticks out, just running out into the flat on the left, let a defender kind of get to him hit him as he was catching the ball, and it turns into a two, three-yard gain. If he gets it to him right away, he has a chance to turn up field. Who knows, make him miss or at least plow ahead and make it a five, six-yard gain. Again, in a game like this, that stuff matters. Um, the one the, the one to Dimitri Stanley at the end. Um, I mean, Dimitri... I mean, you've seen the play. It's probably burned in your brains. Um, but if he gets that ball to Dimitri right on the break, all the defenders are down past the sticks and, and mostly five yards past the sticks. I don't know for sure that Dimitri picks it up, but he definitely gets really close. Um, and he gets really close even if he doesn't make one guy miss with a move like he did when he got it eventually. Um, if that ball comes out quicker, it could be we could be having a different conversation today. Um, it would take a lot. You know, they've got to drive down the field. They've got to do all that stuff but they at least would have stayed alive. Um, In general, though, I thought that Brendan did a better job getting the ball out quickly. Um, I'll I'll pull up this number, too, just because I'm curious um, how long it took him to throw the ball. But uh, um, let's see. What was I thinking? Um, Oh, here it is. So time to throw. In the first game, 3.78 seconds. On average, this game 2.67. So he took a full second off his average time to throw. Um, obviously, that's a big step forward in that area. He also completed less of his passes, picked up one fewer yard, threw an interception instead of a touchdown. Whatever. I saw growth. You have to remember the competition. I also think that there was one third down in the second half. Again, we're just kind of looking at these third downs because those were opportunities to get the the big ones. Um, they keep drives going. Um, on this third down that's on my mind right now, though, 
he hit Dimitri Stanley. He was short of the sticks. Um, I think it was the one where it kind of looked like Dimitri ran away from contact instead of fighting for the extra yards. He wouldn't have gotten it anyway. Um, but on that play, you have Brady Russell starting inside him, obviously, and then breaking out for almost kind of like a, a flag route or like a corner route. And uh, he came open. But Brendan saw Dimitri come open, and so he fired the ball at him, and Dimitri couldn't pick it up. If he waits a second, he probably sees Russell coming open. And, you know, I don't want to knock him both ways, you know, for saying, like, you need to be throwing the ball sooner, and you need to be more patient with the ball in your hands. But the answer is, like, you just need to understand the situation. If you have time to stand there an extra second, you see Dimitri coming open and know that he isn't going to be able to pick up the first down, use that extra second and see if something else comes open, you know? Um, he's a young quarterback. That's just knowing the situation a little bit better. And not even like, like I think when people hear, oh, you got to know the situation, it's like, why didn't you run to give the ball back to the ref? You're running out of time. Or like, you called a timeout there? What a waste of the time. You you ran the ball on fourth and ten. You got to get the ten yards no matter what. It doesn't matter if you can pick up five. This is a much more subtle know the situation. And in general, I th- there was also a lot of stuff to like. Um, I guess the last knock is that there were a couple of balls that were off target. Um, I think I think there were like two or three. Danny said last week there were probably a couple more than that this week. In particular, there were a couple that really sailed on him. Um, no, I'm really sailed isn't fair. Receivers got hands on him. Uh, there was a third down to Dimitri at the sticks where he kind of curled around and the ball's just a little bit high. And and that was something that seemed like it might have been a bit of a trend. Um, gotta, gotta get guys right in the chest, you know. Young quarterback. Um, what was the other thing I was thinking? Um, the feel for pressure. It... It's probably too early to say it's elite. I I'm I'm gonna I feel like I've knocked him maybe just a little bit too hard for his performance. Maybe I'm overcompensating, but Israel for pressure might be just straight up elite. You know, we we talked about the spring game, obviously in the spring, uh, and JT had like those back to back plays where one he drops back and uh, the, the edge rusher beats the tackle outside. And he kind of drifts out the back of the pocket. It's like, no, you can't go out the back of the pocket. That's where the pressure is, and it's a sack. And then the next play, um, the the tackle gets beat inside, and instead of trying to escape the outside, he steps up into the pressure. And you're like, well, no, that, you got it wrong again. You don't see Brendan getting those wrong very often. Um, if there's somebody getting beat, he has a really good feel for where that defender is coming, how to use his momentum against him, how to get outside the pocket and extend plays, and and sometimes just run the ball himself. And I think that that is something that, you know, if if we're looking for positives here, that's absolutely one of them. That and the fact that I think the time to throw, speeding that up, is the other thing you really look at. I do think that Brendan played a lot better this week than he did last week, and that's what you like to see, especially when you factor in Last week, he was playing Northern Colorado. This week, he's playing number five, Texas A&M. So, there is a positive. Um, oh, the other one, just going back to the accuracy, there was there was one ball where there's pressure in his face. He's got Brendan Rice kind of like leaking into the flat on the left side, just tries to throw a little touch throw, and doesn't quite get it there. 
and it probably would have been like a seven-yard gain. At the same time, it's Brendan Rice. He can make a guy miss and, and make something happen. But just a couple of those little misses in there. Um, definitely played better, I thought. Um, again, though, remember that a lot of it works a lot better off of play action. Um, when he's outside the pocket, has a chance to... I mean, just because he was able to speed his time to throw up doesn't mean that he isn't still at his best when he's able to hold the ball for four seconds because he's running around making things happen. That is still where he's at his best, which isn't what you want because it's usually without the or outside of the, the way the offense is structured. Um, but if you can do enough inside the structure of the offense, you can go win games you know, when you need to by getting outside the pocket. I mean, that's kind of what Aaron Rodgers is, except he's just turned into, like, clinical inside the pocket, too. Um, and also, I guess, before we wrap things up on Brendan, the uh, his running ability is really, really good. Um, you know, you, you could see him run on Northern Colorado, and you're like, okay, he's a good runner. Watching some of those runs, especially the big one on that touchdown drive where – He's he's making guys miss. He's he's setting his blockers up in open space with leverage. Um, he a tackler hits him and he just spins off him and keeps going. He is a really good runner, um, and I, I think we thought that he would be, but you don't really know. You know, I think that he's just so much more dynamic in space. You know, obviously than like a Steven Montez is. But that is kind of what separates him because he does obviously have the speed, but he also has the vision and he also has the balance and he knows how to use his body weight and do those sorts of things. Can't take too many hits, that's for sure, especially given the circumstances this season. But he is a really good runner with the ball in his hands. He is really good at extending plays. Like, I don't know. Again, it's just really simple to say, oh, he's always getting outside the pocket. A lot of guys, when they try to get outside the pocket, can't get there. He knows where those defenders are. He knows how to manipulate them. And I think that it's worth remembering that that is a skill to be able to get outside of there and the fact that he's making some nice throws. That one to Montana Lamonius Craig on the sideline where they said that he was out of bounds. Again, I, I guess I didn't focus in on that one on the rewatch. When I was watching it on the big board after the... Um, like after they challenged it, I thought he was in. And the ref said it stands, not like it's confirmed. If they had called it the other way on the field, it would have been the other way. Regardless, that's a great ball. To be able to put that right there to give the receiver a chance, there's some of those those flashes that you really like. Um, still not as many downfield. Um, the Daniel Arias ball was the one really big shot that I remember, and it was underthrown. That's a situation where you can underthrow it, though, um, because, first of all, you like the, the size advantage that Arias has over the cornerback and on top of that college cornerbacks on underthrown balls are going to get called for pass interference at least half the time um, when their back is turned which his was so was it perfect no was it how the coach tells him to throw it probably not um, but it does typically work out better than what we saw um, boo, boo, boo. what was the other note there oh and also, I wouldn't be surprised if Danny Langsdorf at one time said, like, hey, you know, if, if you're throwing these deep balls, it is better to underthrow them than to overthrow them. Um, so, who knows? Oh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the offense by talking through this, this final drive. Um, so, 
hopefully I don't give anybody PTSD or anything. Um, obviously, it was a pretty quick drive. Four plays, couldn't pick up a first down. Um, I know that I'm the optimist here, and sometimes that drives people crazy. But on the first two plays, you know, it's it's almost just bad breaks. Uh, the, the first one, he was throwing to Brendan Rice on a curl. Um, it would have been like a five-yard gain, which, you know, it doesn't help all that much. You also are trying to get what? Like from the 20-yard line to the 35-yard line to have a chance, that's 45 yards. If you get five yards, hey, you're chipping away. You're at least building some rhythm. Um, you've got three plays to get five yards instead of three to get ten. Um, it would have been complete, assuming it was on target. I guess we don't know that part for sure, but Rice was open. It would have been five yards. And again, with this, the same caveat we've had a couple times, he could have broken the tackle. He could have juked it. Who knows? Um, but instead, it gets swatted at the line. Uh, that, that, that next play... He had Daniel Arias on a route. This one's 12 yards. It would have been a first down. He was open too. Probably gets out of bounds. Not that it really matters. They had enough time. Um, but that one also swatted at the line, which it sucks. And you can kind of blame Brendan if you want. Um, I guess if you were blaming Brendan, um, you'd basically be saying he was kind of staring down his receiver. And when you stare down your receiver, it does, I guess, give the defensive lineman a chance to say, like, hey, look, he's looking this way. And what happened was one of the linemen just kind of ran around the outside of, like, the trench where everybody's pushing and shoving, jumped up and got a hand on it. And he did read it. Um, But that's not a play you expect to see from a college defensive lineman. And, you know, it's also not staring down a, a receiver that you know is coming open against man coverage. You, that's, what, that's what you want. You don't want him to stare him down. What percentage of college quarterbacks actually don't stare that receiver down, though? Now, again, you're hoping Brendan Lewis is a top-five quarterback in the country because that's what's going to take for him to, at some point, get this team to uh, the college football playoff and all that kind of stuff. Realistically, though, it's a second start. He stared down a receiver who he knew was coming open. He was right. He threw the ball. A defensive lineman made a great play, and that's how I see it. Um, I'm also an optimist. Uh, but uh, the third down, I, Brendan Rice on another curl would have been like five yards. That was the one thing that was open. Um, he was looking at other stuff. He was looking at Arias coming across the middle, but he tripped on the break. Um, I don't think he was coming open anyway. I don't think Brendan was going to be able to get the ball to him anyway, uh, but that's what happened. He might have had Brendan Rice. The, the corner was a little bit closer this time, probably because he's uh, probably seen <laughs> this curl route before because it just happened two plays ago. And it, I think it actually might happen on the, the play in between too, but uh, he winds up taking the sack and... You know, you can't take the sack there. I think that there's a lot of situations where you say you can't take the sack, and it's like, yeah, you really can't take the sack because that ends the game. It takes you off field goal. No. Again, I don't think the clock was really a factor here, but uh, what happened was he turned a, a fourth and third or a fourth and 10 that you need to pick up into a fourth and 13. Um, not the end of the world, but it sure does feel pretty sucky when, when you see that it's now going to be longer. Um, again, throw the ball away. Throw the ball away. As hard as that is to do on third and 10 um, in that situation, God throw the ball away, which is something he's good at. You know, there were other times earlier in the game that you see him 
um, throw the ball away on third down, like get out of the pocket, extend the play, get to the sideline, and be like, oh, yep, throw the ball away, nothing's there. That's tough to do for a young quarterback. It's even tougher to do it in that situation, given all of the circumstances, and he wasn't able to do it. Um, oh, one more thing. There's a lot of those little curl routes, comeback routes to Brendan Rice. I think he caught at least one of those. It was more of a comeback route than just the curl, but I think that... In general, on top of just these couple of plays here at the end, I think Brennan needs to get a little bit more comfortable throwing those to him. He's a big guy. He can box out. Give him a chance to do that. Let him break a tackle. Um, you, know, you know when he's breaking. You know when he's turning around. He has the advantage on the corner. Let him make some of those catches because you've got a big-bodied wide receiver. Um, then the fourth down. Fourth and 13. We talked about this one. It's the it's the out to Dimitri Stanley. I think Dimitri might have been able to pick it up if Brendan gets it to him sooner. At the same time, you might see Dimitri coming out of the break and say, eh, there's got to be somebody past the sticks, right? There's got to be somebody past the sticks. And maybe that's why he didn't throw it. Um, I guess I should probably have gone back and watched and said, okay, where's eyes? Where's all that stuff? But, but the point is, if he gets that to him right on the break, he has a chance. Um, he would have had to have done something special with that ball for him to, to catch it when he did and pick up that first down. Obviously wasn't able to do it. Um, so there we go. There's the offense. And somehow we are 40 minutes into this podcast. Real quick, I want to remind you guys, uh, if you subscribe to DNVR, you get to read all the stuff I write. Um, once this is over, what it's like 6.30 now. I, uh, I've got a lot of writing to do. I'm a little bit behind. Um, at some point in the next couple of days, I'm going to write basically the, the things that I just said, um, but with a couple more details, with uh, some like screenshots that can kind of show you what I'm talking about instead of me just trying to explain things. Like, for example, I'll take a screenshot of Dimitri on that break, and you can decide for yourself with those three defenders there, all of them, like at least four yards maybe past the sticks. Does he pick it up? I don't know. Um, but instead of me speculating, you could just look at the picture for yourself because I know how to screenshot things. Um, on top of that, uh, I have, I've got tonight I'm going to write about uh, Carl and everything he had to say after the game because it's just a weird balance, right? Like you lost, a, you lost a football game. Can't be losing football games. At the same time, you lost that football team, football game to the number five team in the country, and it was a three-point loss that you led most of the way for. And I, I, did, I have seen some people kind of go negative on this one, which, I mean, again, I understand. They should have won that game. And not being able to close, that is one of the least fun t- kinds of football team to watch. Um, I get it. We also, again, don't know that this is a trend. We don't know that this is a team that can't close. We know that this is a game that this team couldn't close um, or didn't close. And, again, sure, you look at the offensive numbers and say, ah, well, I don't think that it's great because they they had, like, one first down or whatever in the second half, whatever the number was. At the same time, Texas A&M, their fans are saying, yeah, we're the number five team in the country. We don't care that we only had one first down the first half. We did what we needed to do. And that's uh, that's more my approach when I see what happened. I'm not thinking about, oh, they only scored seven points. I'm thinking they were within three. And 
this defense, which we're about to talk about a lot, this defense can beat anybody. And I really do believe that. I think that they can shut out any team in the country. Ooh, that's a big take. I I, I stand by it. It's good. We're, we're, we'll get there in a second. But, yeah. Um, but Carl managed that balance. We heard from Brady Russell, Carson Wells. It's going to be kind of putting all that together, throwing in some of my thoughts, too. That's going to be on the website. There's other stuff on the website. Um, it's, a, it's a good website. Subscribe to that website. Um, also, Breckenridge Brewery. We love them. We will have a tailgate up for the Minnesota game. Same place as always. North end of Farron Field. Um, I'll be there. I'm sure Ryan and Allie will be there. Um, our guy, Evan Batty, he, he loves to come by and hang out and sing the fight song and drink some beers. So you should too. If Evan is endorsing a tailgate, which he is, I should be clear. He is not endorsing it by endorsing, but endorsing by showing up. And it's more of like a cosign, I guess. Uh, then, I mean, I have a feeling the man knows his tailgates. It's a, it's a good time. It's always a good time. There's food, there's free beer from Breckenridge. And again, that's why we love Breckenridge so much. And because they're like a good company and they donate 1% of profits to the National Parks Conservation Association. And they have cool concerts out on their campus. They do all that stuff too. But also, again, um, they give me free beer to, to give to you guys. And what can be better than that? Now, if you want to try any of their beers in particular, I recommend the Strawberry Sky. I had a couple of those yesterday. Uh, you can go to breckbrew.com get the beer locator and it'll set you up with all of the beers that you could ever want to try. It'll tell you exactly where you can pick them up. Also want to remind you guys about our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Week one may be over, but the season's just getting started. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL to kick off week two. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't miss offer. Just bet $1 on any football game this week. Receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. That's right. DraftKings is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet at least $1 on any football game. Uh, DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR and receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code DMVR to get your $200 in free bets instantly. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports bank partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Um, we are 45 minutes in. I've got a lot of notes on this defense. You know, worst case scenario, we'll run through some of these notes later on in the week. I do have more notes on the defense than the offense, though. Um, I guess so I don't forget later on. Special teams note. Cole Pecker needs to make a field goal. Can't keep calling him the Iceman forever if he's not going to make a field goal. I'm not concerned, though. He's talented. He has a huge leg. You watch him warm up, and you're just like, this is a... This is what a kicking prospect looks like. Like, there's when who who's even in that booth? It was a lot of fun up there. Like Klein Kubiak, we know the Kubiaks around here. I don't know what Klein is doing in particular right now, but he was up there. Uh, Mike Mayock was up there, and actually, as I was walking in, like I'm just I'm just kind of like squeezing by behind, and I was like, hey, I think that's Mike Mayock, and he looks at the guy next to him and just says, Mike Mayock, how's it going? I was like, oh my goodness, I gotta I gotta learn how to. You just say your name. 
when you meet somebody, Henry Chisholm, what's up? You, you know, I, I've, I learned a lot from Mike Mayock just in that couple of seconds. Not on how to build a football team, though. Uh, but you see those guys, and you're just like, wow, this is really cool. They had to have been looking at Cole Becker, though. That is a that is a big kid at like 6'3", 6'4". He's got a big leg. Again, does he need to make a field goal at some point? Absolutely. You don't go to the NFL as a kicker if you uh, don't make any field goals. I'm not worried, though. When when it rains, it's going to pour. I feel that way. I really deep down do. Oh, other special teams note. Punk coverage was incredible in that game. Um, maybe, and I do I don't know what Josh Watts was told, the punter. You know, I think he is potentially like clinically insane for just hanging the ball up in the air in the middle of the field for Anaya Smith, one of the very best punt returners in the country. Hey, trust his coverage. It worked out. Maybe the special teams coach was saying, hey, you know what you should do? Just just trust your coverage. Punt it right down the middle. I know when I covered uh, Montana, they always they always said you got to put the ball between the numbers and the sideline, always between the numbers and the sideline. Well, that that didn't happen. That did not happen. It was right down the middle every time. He was betting on his coverage or missing badly in the exact same place every time. I don't know. It worked out though because that punk coverage was incredible. Um, and those are my special teams notes. Probably would have forgotten about those if I didn't say them right now. Easy to forget about special teams, but they are important. All right, so here's a plan for defensive notes. I've got a bunch of just general notes that uh, we're going to run through, and then we're going to go specifically through the the touchdown, or no, the field goal drive that Colorado gave up toward the end of the first half. Then after that, we're going to go through the uh, uh, touchdown drive that uh, was the reason that Yesterday is not a football game that all Buffs fans will remember for the rest of their lives. What a waste. We've covered that part, though. Um, The defensive line was really good. Again, you're... I don't know. I say really good because they were good and they were playing Texas A&M. You know, Terrence Lang was getting in the backfield. Uh, Jalen Sami... You know, he was he was kind of the one that I was excited to watch this week because he was a monster against Northern Colorado. And we had this conversation a few times. Is it because he's arrived or whatever you want to call it? Or is it because he's 325 pounds going up against FCS defense or offensive linemen? I think it's a little both. I think that for the most part, you know, what he was really good at was standing his ground. And for a nose tackle, that's a lot of what you want to see. Um he wasn't getting pushed around. He was setting the point of attack. He was doing those sorts of things. And a couple of times he did get into the backfield. You have to remember, though, that when he gets into the backfield, the odds of him getting a sack are very slim just because he's not a fast guy. And I hope that he isn't offended when he hears that I said this. Um, but you know what? I don't think there's a 325-pounder who is fast. Just throwing that out there. Um, his whole thing is, you know, if he gets back there, it means that if there's one other guy who gets back there, it's going to be a sack because he'll clog up everything in the middle. If somebody gets around the edge, it's a sack. Um, he can speed the clock up just a little bit, but the odds of a quarterback like not getting that ball out, not throwing whatever, they're pretty slim. Um, and you just have to keep that stuff in mind. He was, he was, he was good, though. And 
Again, it's it's kind of the opposite effect of the Northern Colorado game. Where it's like, okay, against Northern Colorado, you did this, you were really good. Against AM, you were solid. You were good. What happens when you play Minnesota? You know, what happens when you play you when you play USC? I think he's gonna be able to run people over. They are bad in the trenches, they are bad on defense. They don't even have a coach. Um so again, too early to be making real decisions on Sami, but I I'm excited to keep watching. Uh Guy Thomas, you know, he he won that uh, other outside linebacker job across from Carson Wells. Uh now it's Jamar Montgomery or uh, Josh Gustav behind him. We saw why. I think in the run game, he was really good. Um you know, there there was there was one play in particular where like there there there's a tight end on his side on the the offense's right. They run the ball to the offense's left, and so they leave him unblocked because they're just like, well, the backside edge guy is he really going to be able to get all the way around and, and end this play? The answer was yes. The answer was yes, and and he. Uh, he made some plays, and there's some that stand out. You know, somewhere he's like the one where he threw the quarterback around. Um, he's big, he's physical, and honestly, I think maybe now is the time we start talking about him as an NFL prospect. Um, again, it's it's early in the season; we gotta see where things go from there. But he does have good size. He he kind of he like he looks the part. He's starting to be productive, um, and you know, it's kind of the opposite of Mustafa Johnson, where it's like, sure, he's super productive Mustafa is he's also five foot 11 or whatever um guy doesn't need to do nearly as much to to get an, a camp invite um and so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that for sure you know there, there was one play where he was rushing the the quarterback and he 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 gets a good jump off the line the the running back comes over and helps the tackle off, uh, uh, helps the tackle in pass protection and again because that is valuable because what does that mean? It means that that running back can't help anybody else. You've got, I guess there's probably still one other double team somewhere, but you've basically got one-on-ones across the board from there. You know what happened? On the other side, Justin Jackson won his one-on-one. There was no running back to help because he was already helping on Guy's side, and Justin Jackson runs in there. The quarterback tries to leak out to Thomas's side. Thomas sacks him. He drew the double team. He released, he made the tackle for a sack. I think it would count as a sack. I don't think he got across the line. But so, just good stuff from Guy Thomas. Uh, the, there was one notable bad play, though. We'll, we'll get to that later. Um, I think you might remember the one. It was the one that uh, crushed Buffs fans' dreams. Um, what else we got? A Robert Barnes. I mean, just so much fun to see him out there. Couple of times in the running game. What there's one time in the run game where I thought he he got pushed around a little bit, and he was in space. An offensive lineman came and cleared him out a little bit. Maybe that's what you expect, though. A big Texas A&M offensive lineman, one on one in space. When he gets his hands on him, he should be able to push him. Right? Can't be too upset about that. We aren't expecting him to be Nate when it comes to the run game. What we expect is for him to be good in coverage, and he was good in coverage. Um, there was one play in particular 
that I loved. It might have even even been on the the first drive. It was right up there, first couple drives, um, where they ran like a Tampa 2 with him running the middle. So we talk about cover 2 a lot. That's where you have two safeties deep. That's where it gets its name. And then you've got five guys kind of like spreading across the middle of the field um, at like the second level, first level, or whatever you want to call it, with four linemen rushing. Um, so you got your corners on the outside. You've got like a linebacker and slot guy kind of like kind of on the inside, kind of on the outside, in, in the slots, in the alleys, I guess. And then you've got a linebacker in the middle. Well, obviously, what is the weakness? You've only got two safeties deep. It's wide open in the middle of the field. So Tampa 2, guess you can't, I bet you can't guess where that comes from, what, uh, what NFL team started this. But uh, that's basically where your middle guy, that linebacker, is responsible for the deep middle and the short middle. And I guess that's not fair. It's, he's responsible for the short middle unless somebody goes to the deep middle, and that's him. And so you see Robert running that deep middle. And it's actually very similar. Uh, if you guys are on Twitter, there was a play where um, Micah Parsons did this, and it was like super contentious because there was a pretty well-known analyst who said, like, he doesn't know what he's doing here. He's like, actually, he was running the middle of the field in a Tampa 2. I say all of this to say, when Robert Barnes is lining up a linebacker, just running that middle, following whoever's going up the middle, it looks really nice. And maybe maybe now is the time to get into it. Ah, let's, let's hold off. But that is a look that just became, just became so much more intriguing to me because of a guy like Robert Barnes. Um, made a couple of nice plays, a couple more he could have had. Um, th- there was the one on that drive that we'll get to where the ball just barely went over his fingertips. It was like two plays or maybe one play after uh, one hit Nate in the hands up above his head. Uh, but th- there's a lot to like from Robert Barnes' first game, and I'm really excited. Um, he also he also was blitzing. Sometimes they blitz him and Nate. Um, oh, one of those blitzes, he got up the middle, got through, and swatted a ball on third down in the backfield. Just didn't didn't let the quarterback get the throw off. Forced a punt. It's honestly as good as a sack. It's four yards of field position. Sure, you love to see it. I'm really excited about him. And again, especially really excited about him right next to Nate Lamb. And I think they fit perfectly together. Um, Nate... What is there to say? Ten solo tackles, two for loss, broke up a couple passes. Um, I'm going to take a quick victory lap. I was saying last week, I think that the best defense against this team is you put one safety deep in the middle, you you put Nate Landman as a spy in the middle, and you play man coverage across the board. It's cover one with a spy. We saw that. We saw that early on, and it worked really, really well. Um... Just kind of talk about Nate. Uh, obviously, as that spy, his job, you, you follow the quarterback. The quarterback gets out of the pocket. You do not let him run for the first down. He tries to get up the middle. You do not let him run for the first down. Um, but also, you read the quarterback's eyes, and you're almost like a little bonus defender if he isn't able to make something happen with his legs. And we saw Nate really excel in that role. Um, he was breaking stuff up across the middle. There was one where I thought he was about to kill that wide receiver. I... I can only imagine what it's like to be running across the middle of the field and see Nate there just flying at you. Just with the only thought on his mind being, I got to hit this guy so hard the ball comes out. Now, luckily, Christian Gonzalez just knocked it out himself, so Nate didn't need to give him like the clean blow, just a little glancing blow. But Nate, Nate 
I don't it I don't even want to say he's bad in coverage. He's just limited. And I think that we found a role for him that fits him very well. And I think it fits the rest of this defense really well too. To have, you know, Mark Perry deep, um, to 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 have Makai Blackman, Christian Gonzalez just go one-on-one with the corners with a little bit of deep help in the middle. And short help, too, with Nate, depending on who you're playing and how often you expect him to get out of the pocket. Um, with Robert Barnes covering tight ends um, or running backs, either one. Isaiah Lewis doing the same thing. Uh, Chris Miller didn't play in that game, but you get him back. Nigel Bethel played really well. He, uh, Nigel Bethel had some really great flashes, and he made a couple of mistakes, which... In this Buffs defense a couple of years ago would have meant that he played really well. When you have Makai Blackman constantly doing his thing, we have Christian Gonzalez locking down everybody, blowing up screen passes when they come to his side of the field. He had two tackles for loss. I mean, Christian Gonzalez is just a straight up number one corner at this point. Um, he is he is an NFL guy, and he has proven it. The way that he was just smothering those receivers. The way that he was getting into the backfield on these screen passes and taking guys out. I mean, that is a lockdown corner who just doesn't allow anything to his side of the field. It has been fun to watch him get to this point. It's going to be even more fun to watch him going forward. And when you have him, you have Makai Blackman. Nigel Bethel, congrats on that third down breakup where you mirrored the guy in the slot. I guess he didn't start in the slot, but on that little slant route, tough to do. Broke it up. He had a couple of those. He also... uh, he missed a tackle on that drive before the half where they got a field goal. Um, it was just a little swing pass to the running back. Probably could have been stopped for four yards, five yards. Instead, it's like 12 or 13. That running back was Isaiah Spiller. Worth, again, giving maybe a little bit of a benefit of a doubt, but Nigel Bethel, who I guess is probably your number four because I really do think that Chris Miller, who knows what's happening there, I guess. We don't know that he's going to be back. Um, but... Chris Miller is that slot guy if uh, if he's healthy. Um, I guess real quick on Chris Miller, you'll remember that I talked to him on Wednesday and that was the last media availability of the week. I said, are you healthy? And he's like, yup, I'm, I'm healthy. And he kind of looked at me like I was an idiot for asking him. I said, are you sure? Like, you know, you had some injuries in the past. You, you, there's nothing like lingering or anything like that. He's yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I was like, okay, well, good interview. I don't know what happened between there and Saturday, and I wish I did. Um, and and obviously we'll figure that out when we get a chance to talk to Carl tomorrow afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. Um, but Nigel Bethel as your number three, he's he's real. He's a really good number three cornerback. Nigel Bethel is your number four. Mm. Um, also, might as well throw this in here. Nico Reed, the true freshman. This coaching staff really really likes him. That's a, there's a little tidbit. Um, that that you can do what you want with throw throw it on all all buffs, but uh, he the coaching staff really thinks he's going to be special. I I agree I agree. Um, I'm also having these notes before we talk about these two drives. Ooh, made over an hour. I'll try to. You know what? I'm not gonna try to speed it up. We're on my time. Um, got through Barnes, Lewis on Widemeyer. Uh, that was the primary matchup. He was solid. Lewis was solid. He gave up like 66 yards. I don't even know that he was in coverage on all those catches. Um, but again, it's a really good tight end. Um, there's a specific where we can talk a little bit more in a second. 
Um, oh, back to there was one more note on the whole cover one spy thing. I I do think that this is probably something that you like going forward. It is worth remembering that the two outside receivers that Texas A&M has, they're nothing special. You know, it's not like that was a strength of the team. The strength was Isaiah Spiller and the tight end and Nia Smith and even that other running back too. The boundary receivers, not the best. Still, I think Christian Gonzalez can do that against just about anybody. Full faith in Mekhi Blackman. You know, USC has Drake London, who is a uh, a first-round draft pick. Can Christian Gonzalez lock him up? I don't know. But we're going to find out in a couple of weeks. And when you play a team like that where the strengths are on the outside maybe this whole cover one thing doesn't work out perfectly. I will say I really like when this defense is in man, and I think you go with it until you see that it doesn't work. I think that that is this defense at the best. I, th- I mean, I think that's any defense at its best, you know, because what are you saying? You're saying we can go one-on-one across the board and win, and that means we get to send extra players to, to rush the passer, to stop the run game. It means that um, we're totally balanced, you know, we we have the same number of players on each side of the field as you do because we're just lining up man-to-man all the way across. is isn't like zone where sometimes you can get a numbers advantage in the running game going one way or the other. Um, there's a lot of strengths to playing man if you can pull it off. I think with these corners, with, with the help of Nate doing his thing in the middle, with the help of Robert Barnes playing man, um, with, with your safeties, honestly, the safety in the cover one who's sitting back there, he's important. But he's he's not like your primary line of defense, you know? You, you need him to step up when it's his time to step up. And on that note, Mark Perry, you know, there's... He, he's right now, he is just almost like a replacement level player, you know? If, if you guys are baseball fans, they always talk about like value over replacement or whatever, wins over replacement. Um, or I guess that's above replacement war. Um, Mark Perry has gotten to the point where if he's out there, you say, yeah, sure. Okay. He's, he's not like, oh no, we're starting Mark Perry. He's also not somebody you say, oh yeah, let's, this is a matchup we're going to win. He's gotten to the point where he is a starting caliber player. That is what he is. Um, you know, there was a, a ball to Weidemeyer that set up the field goal. He was in that deep safety spot. Could he have read that and, and gotten upfield an extra 5, 10 yards and broken that up? Ed Reed would have. Do we expect Mark Perry to be Ed Reed right now? No, we don't. And, and so it's just stuff like that where... The now that he has gotten to the point where, you know, it, it, he gave up a couple of catches, but they were mostly like for six yards. They were underneath him. He made a nice tackle after there was there was a play that he broke up a pass on the sideline. Um, you know, it, I think that Isaiah Lewis breaks up that pass too. You know, Chris Miller probably breaks up that pass too. Um, Mark Perry has gotten to the point where he, he is solid. To get to the next level, though, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing and make, like, two more plays a game. And that's... It's it's good to finally have some eyes on him, you know? To be able to say, okay, here's where Mark Perry's at. Because he was one I was curious about. And, and there's a lot of those guys on this deep. I mean, that's the thing about this defense, is there isn't a lot of them. You know, that's probably where Nigel Bethel fits in, too. Um, and he did make a couple of plays. Um, who else? Um, Chris Miller... He, he might still be on this level. It's tough to tell. Um, to, 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 
Lang is past that. Sami, I think, is past that. Last year, he was not. Um, Guy Thomas, he might be right there. He might be past it. Um, Quinn Perry, that's where Quinn Perry probably is. He plays quite a bit, too. Um, the rotational guys, Justin Jackson, the defensive lineman, he's another one right there. Um, and, and you're starting to see more and more of those guys kind of take that next step, like like Makai Blackman did before last year, like Christian Gonzalez has this season. Um, and is Mark Perry up next? If he is, defenses or offenses better watch out. Um, nice pass breakup from Makai Blackman, specifically downfield on that sideline, but my thoughts in these corners, we've, we've covered those. All right, we're just going to talk through two of these drives. Not even all the plays, just the important ones. We got to cut some time. Um, first one, there was the drive before the half where I think at, at, to that point, AM hadn't picked up a first down, um, but then they were able to drive down and get a field goal. You don't love it. Um, like I said, or actually, this is the first, first little mistake. Trust in Oliver. Um, there's a run play to his side, and he... Uh, there's like a blocker coming at him. He's five yards downfield, and he just backpedals a little bit. And he tries to play the angle, try to like maybe push him back into the middle a bit. You want to see him attack that blocker and get that running back down. I don't know that he's capable of that. You definitely want to see him at least try. Um, again, not a super experienced player, but that was a first down run that uh, Christian Gonzalez is right there. I'm not sure it is. I'm also really feeling good about Christian Gonzalez right now. Um, but just... You don't. You, you got to be attacking and not just kind of running away, trying to get the the keep say a step behind the the block or whatever. Um, also, later on in the game, all Trustin Oliver had that play where he was blitzing off the edge out of the slot. Um, it's a third and ten. Um, he gets into the backfield, gets hands on the quarterback. It's a great blitz, but he can't bring him down. All of a sudden, the running lane opens up. There's nobody in the middle of the field. And the quarterback's able to run to pick up a third and ten on what seemed like a very a, a play that was absolutely dead. And you know, there's there's probably a couple things that could have gone better. The big one though is Oliver got hands on in the backfield and couldn't force the punt. Didn't wind up mattering um, score wise, but again, just a couple notes there. Um, the the next play though that didn't go great on that field goal drive. Uh, Nigel Bethel, like I said, he missed that tackle on Spiller. It's Spiller, but also Christian Gonzalez makes that tackle. Um, and so there's another first down. Um, you got Isaiah Lewis in coverage on, on Weidemeyer. And I think Lewis kind of got caught looking into the backfield. Um, he was just like a step outside of him. And then Weidemeyer broke inside. And because Lewis wasn't right on top of him and because Weidemeyer is the best tight end in the country... He got open um, in the middle. And that was another one of those, like, cover one, uh, we're calling it, like, cover one spy, um, where Landman was spying in the middle. There was another in route, and Landman went to the other in route, just a little bit shorter. And, again, that's not on Nate, because Weidemeyer was the more open of the two receivers. He is supposed to be looking at the quarterback, you know? He is just reading the quarterback's eyes and feeling what's behind him. Um... That is why he wasn't deep. And he would have had to have gotten a little bit deeper, I guess. Maybe deeper than he's capable of from that spot to be able to break up the pass to Weidemeyer. But my point here being, a lot of the time, Isaiah Lewis has help on the inside 
when he's playing that coverage, whether it's from the, the deep safety, Mark Perry, or that's from Landman, who's in front, and Weidemeyer went between the two. Probably a pretty good play design and play call from our old friend Jimbo. Um, and it worked. Um, also, there was like a, a cover two, and I don't think it was like the Tampa two because it would have been Nate who just by the alignment would be running that middle. Um, Weidemeyer got between the safeties. It was overthrown, though, and it bounced off somebody's hands, and it could have been picked off. There wasn't anybody right there because, I mean, the safety on the right from the offense's point of view, I'm not sure which one it was actually. Was that I think it was Lewis. Um, he was breaking on the ball. If he had just stayed back there, would have been right into his hands. Um, just another tough little break that could have changed the game. Um, I also put a note right in here. It says Makai breaks so hard on the ball. And I remember the play that made me write that. Or just this little six-yard in route where he's in man coverage and he's like past the sticks. And next thing you know, he's right on top of the receiver. And the receiver is Nia Smith, who's crazy quick. Um, it turns out being uh, 41-42, something like that, field goal. I bet you remember, but that went in. What are we looking at? 110. Okay, the, the, the touchdown drive. Just a couple of key plays, you know, the ball going through Nate's hands. Again, you don't I'm, – I'm not going to say, like, Nate has bad hands because of that play. He was 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. The ball is supposed to go 30 yards from the line of scrimmage. It was flying. It was flying, and it was above his head. It's a tough play to make. Is Nate going to have nightmares? Probably. Probably. Um, yeah, and that's another one where I could have just – tipped into somebody's hands the next play or two plays later something like that um there's a very similar throw that just barely gets over robert barnes's fingertips when he's in basically the same spot just barely um it's another one he almost was able to pick that off if he had just gotten a finger on it would have gone up in the air and it might have been picked off um oh and that's the one i have lewis in coverage but gets caught looking in the backfield so maybe that play i explained earlier Oh, they were different. They, they were very similar, though. The, the one we were talking about earlier, Wadamire was actually a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. Not a lot, though. Um, and this was more of a post route than a, um, like a dig route. But uh, um, oh, there was one where Carson got into the backfield, got his hand on the quarterback's arm. Um, uh, it was a little swing pass. Running back was wide open. Probably would have picked up 10 yards. Instead, it's incomplete because Carson Wells is really good at football. Um, the, you got that third and eight. Um, Barnes and man coverage on Isaiah Spiller. It's a little curl route, the one that Brendan Lewis should have thrown a little bit more honestly to Brendan Rice. Um, goes up to the sticks, turns inside, and the Barnes is all over him. Not in like a penalty sort of way, in a really good at football sort of way. And it's a great pass. It's low. It's to the outside. Barnes just it just about gets fingertips on this one too. It's a tough catch for Spiller. Kind of warmed him up for what's to come. Um, and it's a first down. And, you know, that's with coverage like that, you expect that ball to get caught 10% of the time. And tough break that it was one of those because otherwise it goes to fourth and eight. Who knows what happens? And then uh, we said a lot of good things about Guy Thomas, and he deserved them. But uh, he was in man coverage on Isaiah Spiller on the touchdown. A little wheel route, gets up the sideline. Um, 
it was a touchdown. He got by him. And that's the one thing about Guy Thomas. Didn't look good in coverage to Saturday night. Just consistently was not was not his strong suit. And we don't expect it to be a strong suit, but when you're playing this 3-4, sometimes those those outside linebackers drop. And that's how you keep the offense honest. It's how you keep them guessing. Because um, if you just rush all five guys up front every time, it gets predictable. But if you drop both those outside linebackers back and you have eight guys in coverage when the quarterback doesn't see it coming, I mean, that is what's makes that so tough. I mean, you, you flash back to the Broncos in the AFC Championship game a couple years ago when Vaughn has a couple of sacks on Tom Brady, and then instead of rushing, he drops back into the flat. Brady just tries to throw it to the tight end. But, oh, look, Vaughn Miller's right there. It's an interception. Um, an area to work on. An area to work on. And I bet he'd worked a little bit more on that uh, during the offseason after that play because that was that was it. And that was 10-7. Um, that's all I've got today. We will be back tomorrow. Actually, I'm not sure what the plan is. So, um, me and McChesney, we're going to be doing a podcast either tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, we're actually going to try to do it today. He's in Vegas, and so kind of like a weird schedule. Um, so, here's what's going to happen. On Wednesday, there's going to be a podcast where we talk about the two media availabilities. I'll be talking to people tomorrow. I'll be talking to people on Wednesday. Like I said, recapping all that on Wednesday. On Thursday, I'm waking up early. I'm watching Minnesota, a couple of games, reading up on everything that's been written about them, all that kind of stuff. And Thursday, I'll have a podcast breaking down the Minnesota Gophers. Um, And then on Friday, we'll have a live show. I'm not sure who's going to be on that. Probably Ryan, I would guess, but we will see. Saturday, there will be the DMVR Buffs after dark, which will actually not be after dark because they play an early game. Um, And so that's the content for the week. Plus... There will be that podcast with McChesney that will either go up Tuesday and be the Tuesday podcast or it will go up Wednesday and we'll just have two on Wednesday and you guys will just have to, I don't know, whatever you do, like go to the gym for twice as long or if you listen to the car, like take an extra lap to work and back um, or work for an extra, I don't know, uh, but that's the plan for the week and I'm excited I will say this right now. I think Colorado beats Minnesota. I don't think it's close. I think they're fired up after what happened on Saturday. Um, So we'll see. We'll see. And we will talk either tomorrow or on Wednesday, depending on McChesney in Vegas.